Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film, the film review podcast from a female perspective. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and this episode is our second in partnership with Amazon Prime Video, and it's a Pride special. Film critic Becca Harrison will be joining me to review some classic queer films you can watch at home now. My first guest is an American actress and an icon for many of her young LGBTQ fans. She starred in shows such as Queer Icon and Famous in Love, and films including Assassination Nation and the quirky teen comedy The Duff. In The Duff, Mae Whitman played the so-called designated ugly fat friend, while Bella played mean girl Madison. Bella's latest role is in the Bonnie and Clyde-style thriller Infamous. Directed by Joshua Caldwell, it stars Bella as Ariel and Jake Manley as her lover, Dean. Abused and angry at the world, they go on a robbing spree, sharing the photos on social media and becoming infamous. My name is Ariel. And for as long as I can remember, I knew I was going to be famous. We dance in the moonlight. I never really seen you around here before. In the park, we stroll. It's such a small town. Need to get out of Florida. Maybe somebody will want to come with me. It's a miracle. We're gonna need some cash. So Bella Thorne, welcome to Girls on Film and our special Pride episode. It's good to have you here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Hell yeah. Your, your new film, Infamous, is the number one movie in America, I heard. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Um, what attracted you to the character? Because I've got to say, she is quite an unusual heroine, isn't she? Yes, yes, she is. Um, man, there were so many things I, I loved about Ariel in the script. Um, you know, mainly one of my biggest things was that women in film are often portrayed, you know, the damsel in distress, the girl that can't make the decisions, everybody else makes the decisions for her. She has to feel guilty about her choices that she wants, but don't worry, she'll make the right choice in the end. <laughs> um, and they always have to be likable. They can never be, you know, uh, they're either a crazy ex-girlfriend on screen that's like gonna murder you, <laughs> you know, or they're the, the sweet rom-com oh, we love her and she never does anything bad um, and she can never make a bad choice. Either way, there's no in-between with film. So much of the time, you just you study film, women in film, and you go, what the fuck am I looking at after watching all these movies? Um, and with this script, Josh made a choice for Ariel. He made a choice for her to, one, be a leading lady, be a protagonist, which I think is amazing because we never do that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's so interesting to wonder why someone is the way they are especially when it 
comes to making bad decisions, why do they make those bad decisions? What in their life has led them to this moment? And we, we never see that. We always just see the villainous part of those protagonist characters and that's it. And I think that this is, you know, this was definitely uh, awesome for that uh, collapse of Josh. Um, and another thing that really attracted me to the character was, uh, you know, just her outrighteous sense to be bold, you know? She's making her decisions. She, she doesn't care if Dean doesn't agree or not. She's not going to let anybody else make her choice for her. She's making her choice. That is not left up to debate. And I fucking loved that. I was like, oh, hell yeah, I could do so much with this character. Um, like, I could make her so fun by working with this type of material. Well, it really plays into a lot of conversations that we're always having on Girls on Film, very much, as you say, you know, about likability. And there are so many male criminals on screen, and it's okay for them to be bad and unrepentant and confident and brash. But it seems like there's double standards about women. So congratulations. It's great to see you turning that on its head. Nah. So your character is obsessed with social media and fame. And um, Did it make you think any differently about social media? Because you're quite active, aren't you? Yes, um, I think the same that I thought uh, before and after this movie. Um, look, social media can be fucking terrible, but it can be fucking great. And the reason why it was, you know, created, I truly believe, is to learn about this connective tissue that makes the world, you know, like really getting to experience other people's cultures and understand it and study it and hear it from their mouths and not a fucking school book that you don't know if you can even trust. Social media is not the problem. We are the problem. We make social media bad. And I think that REL, when it comes to being obsessed with the fame culture, that's its own like monster to tackle. created a new account. 3,000 followers. Why would you post that? Something like this could make us famous. Let's go have some fun. You guys have been busy. Make more money than you know. You're her, aren't you? A couple followed by millions have been called a modern day Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, that's exciting. The Duff was an interesting film. I think that's when I first saw you in a film. And it's kind of place to a lot about female self-image. Mm -hmm. Do you Have you thought back about that film recently? Because I think it's still probably quite relevant. Uh, I haven't thought about that film in a minute, but I think that McGee has a really great way of making shit kind of completely legendary and knowing how to pick the projects that give us that sense of this will always be irrelevant. This will always be cult classic vibes. This will always be something that people can talk about and say, hey, I disagree or I do agree. And McGee's just so smart for, for, for picking this, this type of shit. Yeah, I totally agree. The film has so many important things to kind of talk about, to touch on, to let people know how other people feel. The Duff was awesome. I wanted to play the Duff so, so bad. But uh, Mae Whitman just like completely does like, you know, the most amazing job with that character. She is such a great actress. I love Mae. Let's talk about labels. The classics still exist. Jock, geek, rocker, mean girl. Sorry. But what I didn't know was I had a brand new label. Where are your girls at? It's actually not my job to give you intel on my best friends. It kind of is though, as their Duff. Sorry, as their what? Duff, D-U-F-F, -F, designated ugly fat friend. 
What did you just say to me? Every group of friends has one. You know, the one who doesn't look as good, thus making their friends look better. The one who's easy to talk to because no one's trying to get with them. You friended up. Good talk. I'm sorry. You can watch The Duff, directed by Ari Sandal and produced by McGee on Prime Video now. We'll be hearing more from Bella later in the show. My next guest is Becca Harrison, a queer feminist film critic and academic based in Glasgow. She's a contributor to Sight and Sound and BBC Scotland and is currently writing about the history of the Star Wars franchise. Welcome, Becca. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. I was remembering, actually, I think the last time I physically saw you was in the queue for a Star Wars movie. Oh, yeah, lots of fun. (laughs) Um, Becca, what does pride mean to you? Uh, To me, it means the kind of history of protest, a long history of LGBT plus uh, kind of queer resistance to patriarchy, uh, to oppression, to marginalisation. And it's about a celebration of just being who you are and being able to be who you are in public and really kind of celebrating the idea of not having to be hidden away a kind of big, big mishmash of lots of different things and lots of different emotions and feelings. Perfectly put. And we also, talking of celebration, had some good news recently from the States, which is a rare thing. Uh, The Supreme Court said the language of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits discrimination in employment, applies to discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Did you hear about that, Becca? I did. And that was uh, one bit of good news during a period in which there has been so much so much bad news and so much going on in terms of the the kind of right-wing politics challenging LGBT and queer people and particularly trans people in the UK as well so it's heartening to hear that there is some kind of formal mechanisms where people are pushing back again. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. Becca, we're going to review some classic queer films, but first let's go back to Bella Thorne. I asked her what pride means to her. Pride means to me just just being proud of who who you are, you know, um, being able to say who you are in front of an audience to your friends, to yourself, to those are moments to 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 be proud of. You and she came out as bisexual, but more recently described yourself as pansexual. Could you explain what pansexuality means to you? Um, it means that um, I like what I like. If it's a human, I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't care about gender preference, this, that, him, them, they. Uh, I don't, all of it to me is uh, right up my alley. I'm down for all of it. Excellent stuff. What are some of the important issues to you in the LGBTQ community? Because I've seen that you've been posting on Instagram that you obviously feel very strongly about supporting the community. Well, I will start with one of the things that is amazing is, you know, uh, the working rights. Let's, Let's give a good clap to that. That's a big step in the right direction. Huge step in the right direction. Can't believe it's taken this fucking long, but you know, here we are. Most people did not know that that wasn't a thing. You know, most people thought that you shouldn't be discriminating against somebody in the workplace for their sexual preference. I thought that that was really interesting is to hear all the people go, wait, what? 
it never was in the first place. And you're like, no, it fucking wasn't, bro. And I think that social media is really great to really bring out all those things and say, hey, by the way, guys, I know you think that shit's okay, but uh, newsflash, it's not okay. And it hasn't been okay for a very long time. It's interesting, isn't it? You mentioned talking to people on socials. What kind of dialogue have you had with your young LGBTQ fans? Have you found that you've been able to support each other? Oh, yeah. Um, I think that in general, social media is great for support. Most of my fans that actually come up to me in the street and, and whatnot, they, um, you know, they've all got a story to tell. And yeah, usually it's something really dark to something amazing like I came out to my parents and you gave me that strength and that was really hard for me and it's it's wow, so dope like it's literally sick <laughs> it makes me feel so good yeah I've had a, a great time you could say in my community and I and I feel like hopefully young people are finding it easier to be themselves with examples for sure so many so many like I mean the the amount of work we've done with social media in such a short amount of time is really is really crazy. You know, it it definitely gives me hope for the future of my kids when they grow up that the world will be very different then because it's already very different from when I was a kid to now. And you know, I think that the people never had a voice before. Not really. Not not a real one, not one that we were able to like actually say and just put it out there and other people agree with it because when things go trending and people agree and then more people agree and then more people agree it's like that power becomes so strong so really we could make any change we want it's just that we actually have to get everybody on board to fucking do it and you know it's the first time in a really long time that uh, people have been on board to do that uh, and make a change um, and we just have to keep keep striding in this in this direction because beautiful things can happen from the power of 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 the people the voice you know i like your positivity thank you what kind of um, lgbtq characters did you enjoy watching in films growing up or indeed more recently hmm. well i think i mean obviously brokeback mountain you can't really get over that movie what a beautiful movie um boys don't cry uh, that's, that's, that one's like, that one just rips you, rips, rips you in two. And have you got any final message for the girls on film listeners? Um, just that I hope people really like the movie. I hope they watch it. They enjoy it. They have something to talk about with their friends. Um, something to, you know, actually discuss and say, Hey, huh, you know, let me look inside my life. Well, thanks so much for coming on Girls on Film, Bella. It's been a delight to have you. Hell yeah. We will have to talk again. This was a great interview. Uh, when I got another project or something, we're going to have to do another interview. I would absolutely love that, Bella. Do come back on. Hell yeah. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Best of luck with the film. Thank you. Infamous is released across digital platforms on 31st of July. Now, Becca, Bella just told us um, she's a fan of Brokeback Mountain and Boys Don't Cry. Are you a fan of either of those films? You know what? I actually haven't ever seen Brokeback Mountain all the way through. Wow. <laughs> Which I feel like um, <laughs> undermining my queer film critic credentials here. But yeah, no, I've actually I've, I've seen it. It's one of those films that I've seen in hundreds of different clips and... I've seen so many people talking about it online and read so many reviews, but I've actually never seen it from beginning to end. 
Well, I would definitely recommend it. Um, it's actually a really moving watch and, and as you've gathered, the performances are tremendous. So yeah, put it on the list. But so uh, we've picked some films that we really love and we've both seen um, because Prime Video are doing a Pride season. And the first one to discuss is appropriately called Pride. Directed by Matthew Walkers, it's the true story of a group of activists called Lesbians and Gays Support the Minors. It's a culture clash comedy drama with an all-star cast, including Imelda Staunton, Bill Nighy and Andrew Scott. Let's have a listen to a clip. Mining communities are being bullied just like we are. Without that pit, these villages are nothing. They're finished. The gaggle of gays and lesbians has come out in favour of the miners' strike. We've been backed up by perfect. Every day they're out collecting for us. What they're really doing is pushing their own agenda. You better shut her mouth or I'm gonna do it. When you're in a battle against an enemy so much bigger, so much stronger than you, to find out you had a friend, you never knew existed, well, that's the best feeling in the world. I absolutely love this film and I watched it again recently just to remind myself, I think it's actually one of my favourite films in recent years and I cannot think of a more uplifting film for a liberal person to watch. What did you enjoy about it? Uh, I mean, I actually rewatched it just last night to, to refresh my memory and I swear every time I go back to it, I start crying a bit earlier on in the film each time because it's just so emotional and it, it makes me feel so many different things. Um, but yeah, I think it's actually probably one of my favourite films of recent times too. And I, it's for me the the coming together of so many different things that speak to me. Um, being queer, like paying homage to really to the kind of LGBT plus elders who did so much work to enable me as a bi woman to be able to say I'm bisexual and I'm queer and to own that word as well, a word that has such a derogatory and difficult history to it. The sense of community, watching people across kind of different identities, different situations in life coming together, the importance of solidarity. I mean, it just, yeah, the list goes on. There's just so much... And it feels so pertinent and relevant to our to our current moment as well. I think that's really important. I agree. It's, it really, it's about a sense of community. It's about trying to understand the point of view of someone who you don't have much experience of, but being empathetic, reaching out. I mean, I love the scenes, particularly when the LGBT people from London come to Wales and initially have this kind of very wary exchange with the Welsh miners and their families. And of course, the women are much more receptive initially and the men are all very, mostly partly from Paddy Constantine, very macho. But I just love how that's gradually broken down. And it, you know, it's sort of cheesy and you can see it coming because it's very much in the tradition of things like the Four Monty and Maiden Dagenham. But do you know what? It just works every time, doesn't it? And also because it's very funny. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's so much humour. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's so many one-liners that just, just keep coming and coming. And I think that's really key to this film's success is that they have a little sentimental moment and then they will probably combine it with something that makes you laugh out loud. My favourite scene, well, do you know what? It's really hard to pick a favourite scene because there are so many, but I think mine is a sentimental because it's connected to a real-life memory. So there's a scene in the film where they have a benefit at the electric ballroom in Camden. And when the film came out, I was living in Camden and lucky enough to be invited to the big party they had after the premiere at the Electric Ballroom. And Jimmy Somerville played as he does, you know, in did in real life. And it was just 
a real sort of spine tingly moment, you know, it was amazing. I mean, that actually for me is probably my favourite scene as well. For me, it encapsulates everything that Pride is and should be about. The fact that it's all of these different people coming together while at the same time privileging queer history and queer culture but also just the way it's shot like just all of those people in one space all of those bodies crushing up together dancing together maybe I'm feeling that particularly acutely being in lockdown and having that all kind of as a distant memory but you know you've got those kind of like big rainbow lights across the crowd and a big long shot looking down and it's just a sea of people all in solidarity like it's kind of sexy and fun and and everyone's having a great time, but there's still that sense of, you know, this is political, like to to feel joy and express it in that way also is this like deeply pertinent, raw political act. And yeah, so that that scene for me is is just brilliant. You're making me want to cry again, actually, just thinking about it, quite frankly. Beautiful stuff. Um, let's listen to a clip from that bit. Well, that was Pride. Thanks for discussing that with me, Becca. And our second film is 2015's Carol, a Todd Haynes period drama based on the novel by Patricia Highsmith and starring Kate Blanchett as a glamorous, wealthy woman who turns the head of a young shop girl played by Rooney Mara. Now, Rebecca, I believe you are a fan of Carol. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, I remember seeing this in the cinema. And again, I mean, this was another one that I just sobbed all the way through the end. Um, I mean, I do cry a lot at films, but these two are particularly weepy ones. It's interesting because I remember liking it at the time, but perhaps I was expecting too much of it because it was very, very hyped. Um, And some critics just went absolutely five-star crazy on it. I remember liking elements of it and not finding the central relationship that convincing, and that was my big bugbear. But watching it back recently, I have to say it's just such a beautifully crafted film. And the performances are extraordinary, especially from Kate Blanchett, but the costumes, the music, you know, I mean, everything. And I also found it very interesting to read more about Patricia Highsmith and the fact that this was her only outwardly lesbian novel and that um, Kate Blanchett's character was actually a sort of a composite of some people that she did know in real life. And one of my favourite scenes is actually right at the beginning when they, they meet in this shop, um, very swanky department store, and the entrance of this glamorous woman and she, she catches the eye of the young shop girl and... That felt like that came from a real place. And apparently there was a woman that walked into the store when Patricia Highsmith was working in there. So, yeah, that, that's one of my favourite moments. And I think that also addresses gender issues because she's working behind the doll desk, but she's actually more into trains. Let's hear a clip from Carol. What did you want when you were this age? A train set. Really? Do you know much about train sets? I do, actually, and we just got a new model in last week. It's hand-built with hand-painted cars. It's a limited edition of 5,000. You might have seen it on the way in over by the elevators. 
I would show you, but I'm sort of confined to this desk. Do you ship? Special delivery. You could have it in two or three days. They'd even assemble it for you. Wow. That's that. Sold. What are your favourite scenes in Carol? Uh, so the whole film is so beautifully crafted. I remember seeing it on the big screen in the cinema and really kind of seeing the texture of the sort of 16 millimetre grain. One of those moments where it felt like, yes, shooting this on film meant something and it wasn't just a kind of grandiose gesture. I mean, it just like everything. There's a, a moment when Therese is in a car and you see her through the window and it's kind of got all these water droplets on it and all the different coloured lights of the city as she's moving through it. And it's just phenomenal to look at. So it always makes me think of um, All That Heaven Allows with the older widowed woman dating her working class younger gardener. And of course, because that film has Rock Hudson, it has queer subtext to it that I think Carol maps onto. Um, and it feels like a almost like a 1950s film noir. My favourite scene is actually the relationship between two scenes in the film, which is... The one that you've mentioned, the one in the department store, where she's among all of these dolls and she's talking about the resistance almost to heteronormative, like, cis culture that she's always had since she was a kid. When you see her looking across the room at Carol, and I think even subconsciously then, whether she knows it or not, she's kind of flirting when she's like, she's looking at her. It's that subversion of the male gaze and it's, sort of setting up the fact that it's a relationship between them. I always think the fact that the film is called Carol and we're so much in Therese's headspace and psychological space all the way through the film, the film ends up feeling like it's a love letter to Carol or a love letter about her um, from Therese's point of view. But for me, it's that setup moment where Carol doesn't look back. She doesn't see her. And then we get to the end of the film and Therese walks into the restaurant and sees Carol at a dinner table across the room. Lots of men then cross the screen as she's moving towards her and they're kind of getting in the way and they're blocking her view. And then she gets there and stands and keeps looking. And then Carol looks back. And then they both just, I mean, I think, in fact, uh, Kate Blanchett looks kind of almost directly into the camera. There's this kind of uneasy moment where you feel like you are Therese being looked at. And this moment of recognition when they see each other that for me is just like completely transcendental and wonderful. That's a lovely description of that scene. Do you think we've touched on the female gaze and, and the way that's sort of subverting the male gaze because we're seeing it from Teresa's point of view. Do you think that this is a feminist work in some ways? Uh, hmm. Maybe it's gesturing towards a feminist work. I'm a little bit reluctant to just label things feminist because they are told from women's perspectives or from women's points of view or because it's a lesbian love story. So I think I'd almost want to go back and and look at it again from that from that perspective. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, isn't it? And also because it's a male director, although it's a female screenwriter. Yeah. Um, I think it is complex on that level. I think it explores gender and it explores women being pigeonholed by the men around them, you know, as housewives, as girls that sell dolls, as, um, you know, heterosexual objects. And I think in that sense, 
it probably is feminist, but as a whole, yeah, I know what you mean. I don't know if I'd label the whole work feminist, but basically see Carol if you haven't already. It's wonderful. Yeah. So finally, we're going to pay tribute to Appropriate Behaviour, which is Desiree Akavan's bisexual coming out comedy drama. She spoke about this very frankly on our show on the BFI's YouTube. It was actually really moving what she had to say about one of the reasons that a scene in this is her favourite scene that she's ever made. And you can hear a longer version of that conversation on episode 36 of our audio podcast. Becca, tell me your feelings on Appropriate Behaviour. Have you watched it lately? I actually haven't had a chance to go back to it recently so it's kind of lurking in the back of my mind but it is for me it's a really important film in a personal way because I was watching this film about gosh I can't remember it's like a you know when it came out we had a screening of it at the university I was working at at the time and it was watching that film that made me think in my head liking different genders of people is a thing like I can own this and I can say out loud that I'm bisexual so it actually was a film that like played quite a significant part in me coming out yeah it was a a really kind of eye-opening film in terms of thinking about my own identity because you know the film addresses bi erasure um I always feel a little bit ambivalent in, in talking about the ways in which being bisexual is hard because so many other queer people face so much worse um, in terms of prejudice than I feel like I have done in my life. So I kind of don't want to overstate that. But, you know, it does, the film does deal with some of the prejudices that people face for being bi, including from occasionally other queer people, because you have that kind of weird, sometimes weird feeling around like, do I belong in this space or not? Um, So, yeah, it was just a a really, really important film for me. Well, I can't think of a better reason to celebrate the link between film and a special Pride episode than the effect that appropriate behaviour had on you. So that's that's wonderful. And let's have a listen to a clip. I'm Shireen. What is that, Libyan, Armenian? Iranian. Iranian, wow. Tell me, what is the scene like in Tehran? I spend most of my time putting on watching Disney videos with my grandmother while she untangles jewelry. They have no idea you're bisexual? They know, I know they know. Why is there only one bed? It's European. Also in the movie Beaches, these two best friends shared a bed and it was very inexpensive. Well, Becca, thank you so much for joining Girls on Film today. It's been so nice to chat with you. Uh, How can people find out more about your work? Uh, So I am... on Twitter, at Becca E. Harrison. Excellent. Um, I have a book on The Empire Strikes Back that's coming out in, I think, in October, if I've remembered correctly, um, which actually does do a queer reading of the film, um, if anyone's interested in following up on that. And I was also going to plug a a bookshop, if that's all right, just as it's Pride Month. Um, and I was thinking about how important gay as the word is in pride and that like maps onto my experience of a bookshop that's like just around the corner from my house in Glasgow called Category Is and they do this extensive amazing range of queer authored books including stuff about film and the arts and they're a brilliant community resource and I think they do online orders so if it's possible to do a shout out to them um, that would be wonderful. Well, that's funny because gay gay is the word, the actual bookshop is around the corner from my house. 
Oh, really? Yeah, and that's still going. I mean, these places are such great resources. And they, they, the one they use in the film is the real Gaze the Word bookshop, and it is a great bookshop. So let's celebrate all those bookshops which badly need everyone's custom. So, yeah, good shout. Thank you. Becca Harrison, thank you so much for joining Girls on Film. Will you come back on and talk to us about your Star Wars book when it comes out? I would absolutely love to do that. Excellent. Well, we'll speak to you soon. In the meantime, take good care. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Girls on Film. Thanks to Heather Archbold of HLA Productions and to Jane Long for producing. Thanks to our intern Heather Dempsey and to Amazon Prime Video. Girls on Film has a Patreon page where you can pledge a small amount each month to support us. Go to patreon.com forward slash girlsonfilmpodcast. You can follow us on Twitter at girlsonfilm underscore pod and on Instagram at girlsonfilm underscore podcast. Please subscribe and review us if you've enjoyed this episode and don't forget to check out our special film shows on the BFI's YouTube channel. The latest one features Rosamund Pike, Maxine Peake, Amra Sante and Nicola Burley. You've been listening to me, Anna Smith, and I was joined by Bella Thorne and Becca Harrison in our latest Girls on Film isolation pod. Stay safe, everyone. Um, I'm looking for the grown-up underwear of a woman in charge of her sexuality and not afraid of change.